Thank you, college and career. Appreciate that tremendously. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5 for our consideration and meditation this evening. We're looking at one verse here in James chapter 5. It kind of doesn't seem to flow or connect to the passage before or the passage after, at least as what its main focus is, but I think there's a connection. We'll see it here in just a moment. But James chapter 5, we'll look down at verse number 12 as we continue to look at James and our eagerness to be done by seven we'll jump right in okay and uh, if you look at verse 12 in fact the end of it i think that's where we'll see we'll give everybody a chance to come in and and find their seat and and join us for our bible study time our sermon this evening all right at the end of verse number 12 james chapter 5 in fact after the the colon you see or excuse me after the semicolon and your nay be nay and then the last semicolon lest ye fall into see the next word condemnation and here's where i would say it's loosely connected in this chapter because the first few verses talk about condemnation and we saw that and then even uh, we talked about the judge standeth at the door we saw that here uh, a few verses earlier and then even in verse 9 you remember the statement if you look back and for some flipping the page grudge not one against another brethren lest ye be condemned i find this interesting too that there it's talking to brethren here we're talking to brethren but above all things my brethren verse 12 and so uh, it it certainly connects it ties in together in this uh, consideration of condemnation the judge standeth at the door And so be ready, Uh, Christ is coming, and he is the great judge. And so this is loosely tied, certainly in that sense, uh, to that condemnation. Here the warning about future condemnation is tied to one of James' favorite subjects, the tongue, our speech, what we say. The scriptures are replete with the notion that we're going to be held accountable for what comes out of our mouth. I think probably the classic one is here uh, found in Matthew chapter 12. Let me turn this on. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. You probably know it well, and uh, we'll try to get it to come up. Maybe, maybe not. Something's happening, Judah. You have to blow up the computer. Oh, there we go. Thank you. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word, give an account. What you say, all the words that come out of your mouth. I think it's also interesting to, to point out the importance of our words based upon where they come from. The words that come out of our mouth come from somewhere. The verse before it says this, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure uh, bringeth forth evil things. Hmm. So everything we say is obviously coming forth from our heart. It's a manifestation of what's in our heart. It is a window, a glimpse into the heart of every man is his words. What he says, what he talks about, how he talks, the words that he uses. It's a glimpse into the heart, a window that allows us to peer inside. Think of it this way. If Christ truly resides in your heart and he rules therein, then your words will betray that fact, that truth. That Christ resides and rules there. However, if Christ resides there and yet another, your flesh or something else, truly rules that, then your words will betray that also. So they're very revealing. How you use words, what you say, the the words that you utter reveal 
Does Christ reside in you, and does He rule you? Is He truly your Lord? Your words are going to show us that. One's heart, we might say, is a storehouse, as I think this verse presents to us. And the words that proceed from one's mouth reveal and indicate what is stored and what is treasured in your storehouse, your heart. So your words are indicate what do you store, what do you treasure uh, therein. The instruction that James gives us in this verse is not, it's not all-encompassing. It's not exhaustive in its subject matter of the tongue. Uh, frankly, he really kind of focuses in on the making of oaths. Let's look at verse 12. Let's see the whole in its entirety to see what he himself addresses. Notice it. He writes this, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be nay, yea, excuse me, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. So what we see immediately is this. Uh, the one and only Roman numeral, the swearing of oaths, is what James is dealing with. And the first point, I'm just going to give it to you quick. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time, obviously, here. But this, an oath is to be kept no matter who or what is sworn upon. A oath, An oath is to be kept no matter who or what is sworn upon. When James speaks of swearing here, it's not what we might define as swearing today. It's not like cursing. It's not like taking God's name in vain. That's not what he's alluding to here. It's not illicit, dirty, filthy speech as we might define cursing or uh, swearing in modern terms. In fact, it, he himself gives us a little later in the verse what he means when he states, did you catch it, neither by any other oath. You see that in the verse? He says, We're not, don't by heaven or Jerusalem or whatever the case may be, neither by any other oath. So get the picture. Hey, Christian, understand what he's saying. Okay? Understand what James is, is speaking to us. It was common in that day, a common practice for both Jews and Gentiles to use oaths. In other words, they would say something to add validity, uh, uh, to substantiate it, to guarantee what they were saying, a statement, and they would swear by heaven. They would swear by Jerusalem. They would swear by the temple, the altar. They'd swear by their own heads. And so that was a common practice, and we'll see in a moment, where that was likely derived from, why they practiced that in a sense. We don't see it as much today, um, but I, I, I'm trying to think, I, as I was preparing, think of some comments and some statements. And, you know, sometimes we'll add on to a thing, especially among children, you know, they'll say something and then to convince you, I promise. We'll just throw that on there. I promise. I, you can trust me. That's another good statement. You can trust me. And what do we normally do when someone says that? We don't trust them. You know, that's the opposite. Yo, you can trust me. Like, wait a second. That means I can't trust you. It, 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 we're trying to give affirmation and confirmation of what I'm promising. I, I've caught myself sometimes saying, in all honesty... Now, wait a minute. If, if I'm just speaking now in all honesty, what was I speaking before? <laughs> Half honesty? You know, and, and we sometimes pick up these statements, these little things. You're like, why am I saying that? You know, And what it is trying to do is add validity, a little umph to our statement, our promise, our, our oath, or uh, our, uh, our words. We're just trying to give a little bit of a confirmation to them. And that's literally what the Jews did in that time. And so we understand many of these new believers in the church were Jewish. And so they brought their practice or that practice into their new life and into the church. 
So James is certainly addressing it. It was likely carried over. You say, well, what's the big deal about the oath? Well, there really isn't. James, we'll see, is not condemning all oaths. He's not certainly doing that. Because this is a practice that was carried over from the Old Testament. Uh, it was very much practiced and used there. In the Old Testament, there, there was no written contracts, no agreements, the written ones. They just didn't exist. And so a verbal contract, an agreement, was sealed by oaths, thereby making them binding on both parties. Again, that oath was attesting to what one said as being true. As I'm going to keep my word, I'm going to follow through. If one, got, if one person called God as a witness in a covenant and in an agreement, they might even use the terminology, and we've probably heard this. Has anybody ever said this, God is my witness? Yeah, so that's the kind of thing, and certainly even in the Old Testament, that was used to some degree, invoking not only God to be witness to it, to ensure that one's promise or word was kept, but it also invoked the judgment of God if someone did not keep up their end of the bargain. I think the best Old Testament, for me, it's all relative in a sense, but probably one of the greatest (laughs) pictures of this kind of oath making for me was found in Genesis. And we're not, I don't have a lot to cover tonight, so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. Like for you to see this tonight, Genesis chapter 24. It's a, you probably know the passage right away. Um, it's Abraham. Abraham's getting older. He wants a wife for his son, and yes, there, yet there are specific parameters and instructions he has for finding a wife there for Isaac. Notice it, verse one of Genesis chapter 24, and we'll we'll see that here. Genesis chapter 24. We'll look at verse one, but two through four is where we're really focusing on. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Notice verse 2. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. I don't know about you, but I sure am glad that practice was Old Testament. Amen. And uh, verse 3. And I will make thee swear. Now notice this. I'll make thee swear by the Lord the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So here he is, here Abraham, he's holding his servant literally to an agreement, a contract, and making him swear accordingly. Look down at verse 9. After a couple of questions of, well, wait a minute, if this happens, contingency plans, we might call them. After some contingency plans, verse 9, and the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham's master and swear to him concerning that matter. So he did it. He swore on that oath. And it's not a bad oath. It's not something that James is not condemning this type of oath. That's not the point of the passage back in James. But we see that this is something that would have been normal brought over from the Old Testament. It's interesting also to to know that such vows are found throughout the Old Testament. And they were very serious. People held them up. Several vows in the Old Testament, we don't have time to expound much on them, but several vows in the Old Testament were foolish vows, foolish promises. Uh, You remember Jephthah, in promising to God, he sacrificed the first thing that came out of his house, and hence his daughter came. You remember Saul, Saul at one point, he, he, he made a vow that prevented him and the Israelites from utterly defeating the Philistines. Uh, in one battle, he had made a vow that prevented them from doing that. 
He made a promise, a vow, an oath, and he swore it with an oath. And how about the Israelites? You remember when the Hivites came to them and pretended they were from far away? Uh, there in the land of Canaan, only to find out they were their next door neighbors, basically. And they said, make peace with us. And they made an oath that we're not going to destroy you. They made a promise, a vow, and a foolish one. And they didn't go to God. They didn't check with God first. And so they made this promise, an oath unto them. And it was very foolish. And yet they kept it. Uh, God, they went to God. And God gave them wisdom for doing so. So we see them throughout the Old Testament. Many, many more. We also note that God himself made some oaths. All throughout the scriptures, they're found too. And in fact, he even swore by himself. Turn back with me to James chapter 5 and then take a left. Let's find Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And notice that what is written. Um, Hebrews chapter 6. Notice what is written here. Hebrews chapter 6. We'll look down at verse number 13. The author of Hebrews, we believe to be Paul, he wrote this. Hebrews 6 and verse 13. Quite a statement, isn't it? I, boy, you find something here that's quite unique. For when God made promise to Abraham, Hebrews six thirteen, because he could not, he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, <laughs> saying, "Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee." If you were to search the Old Testament, you would find many times that God says something to this effect, but he also says something else. He says this, as I live, saith the Lord. You remember reading that in your devotions many times? Well, that was like this. This was an oath. As I live. In other words, as long as I live, as I live, and we have kind of translated that. Some of us say, well, as long as I live, I'll never. You ever say something like that? I'll never darken that doorstep again. I'll never root for Michigan, amen? Uh, as long as I live. And that's an oath. I mean, that literally is an oath. Or as long as I, I mean, God used that in the Old Testament, obviously much more serious than how you or I might, might use it. So we are seeing immediately, we understand that this is not a blanket statement by James saying, hey, all oaths are wrong. An oath is wrong. You shouldn't give an oath, you know. I can't go in the courtroom. Give an oath. No, he's not saying that. What he is speaking of, as we'll see here, he's literally reiterating the teaching of Jesus Christ. We found that to be so. With the book of James, one of the things I like is the consistency throughout the New Testament because James here is often repeating, uh, elaborating on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Turn over with me. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Let's, let's notice what Christ himself said. Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, and look at verse 33 with me. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus Christ speaking. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is the foot, his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst make one hair white or black. Okay? Kind of interesting, isn't it? But isn't it funny how mankind, we try to dye our hair nowadays, huh? 
We try to prove that verse wrong, huh? It just doesn't work. Only God controls those things. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these, now notice this, whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. And that's really the key. James reiterates, lest ye fall into condemnation, was James says, Christ says, lest ye bring evil upon. You open the door to sin and causing more problems. It produces evil is literally what Christ is saying. It is very interesting enough. You might remember this when we went over the Beatitudes many moons ago and we studied this passage. You might remember that Jesus Christ here is really cutting to the heart of a deceitful practice that crept up among the Jews. They believed in this passage, and he is c- condemning this truth, that there was a small print exception uh, or what we might call an out to an oath. What was that? What was he pointing out? Because, uh, boy, the Jews are very good at playing the law. You understand what I mean by that? They, they, you know, looking for the little iota that they could get out of it, the, the fine print that would excuse them. And many of the, the so-called religious of the day would do such things. So they were trying to find an out, uh, the small print exception, that when they didn't use God's name or swear by Him. We would put it this way. To use Jerusalem or heaven or even one's own head excluded them from the rabbinical teaching that only vows made before and to the Lord or that invoked God's name were truly binding. All other oaths could be forfeited without the charge of perjury being leveled. So here they were. They were thinking, okay, if I swear, let's say I swear by Jerusalem. Well, the law says, if, if the rabbinical law, the rabbi's law, if you swore by God, then boy, you better keep that oath. You could be held accountable. You could be held for perjury, not falling through. However, they learned, well, wait a minute. If I swear by Jerusalem, if I swear by heaven, if I, I swear by the temple and the altar, I can get out of it. Hey, young people, you know it well. What can we do? Hey, I promise, but what do I have behind my back? I've crossed my fingers. I, I, woohoo. I, I can get out of it. That's my, that's my get out card, get out free card. That's the exception. If I, I cross, literally, that's where many of the Jews were doing. I'll make an oath. I'll promise you. And, and, and yeah, but if I don't swear by God, if I don't call him as a witness, then I can get out of it without any problems. Now, listen to me, okay? James is not saying here, Christ is not saying don't make oaths. What he is saying is we'll get to it. Number one, if you make an oath, keep it. If you promise something, keep it. For instance, even among our children, it creeps up in little things, okay? I know Brother Sean Kennedy. Brother Sean, you like fireballs, don't you? Would you like one? Come on up. Okay? He likes fireballs. How many of you like fireballs? Fireballs are fun. How many of you like to drink water with a fireball, huh? Just, you know, okay, good. All right, You, you want a fireball? I'm just kidding. I don't have one. Go sit down. Okay, stop, Brother Sean. Just stop, stop. You ever see a kid do that? I actually have some. Here, I have three for you. There you go. Enjoy that. Okay, there you go. Thank you for helping. Yeah, that's mean, isn't it? Hey, you know what, though? I hear kids do that. Hey, you want a piece of bubble gum? Yeah. Just kidding. I don't have any. Now, can I tell you? Listen to me. Listen to me. That is honestly very unkind. It is. It's it's trying to make an oath. It's making a promise. And what you're doing is saying, I have something. Yeah, I'll do it. But here's my out. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, my fingers were crossed. 
Now, can I implore you? Hey, young people, can I encourage you? Don't get in the habit of telling somebody, just kidding, to get out of what you promise. Hey, adults, be careful what you promise. Be careful what you say. Yeah, I'll do. I, I swear it. Yes, I, I don't care what kind of oath you use. You ought to keep your word. And so it even starts from a young age. Many of our young people here, you listen, it's a great character trait. We'll talk about it in a moment. It's a great character trait to be someone of your word. Be someone who keeps it. James is literally talking about this picture. He's telling us, hey, this was a means of deception to swear by these other things. They had no intention of following through. Christ made the point back in Matthew 5 as James is saying, listen, this is a matter of the heart. This is a deceitful heart. Someone who's trying to get out of something they promised. Something, well, I didn't promise by God, so I don't have to keep my end of the bargain. And Christ is saying, God is saying, listen, listen, listen. Whose dominion is this earth? God's. This is all my dominion. You swear by Jerusalem. You swear by heaven. You swear by earth. You swear by your head. I made your head. I gave you all the hair on it or the lack thereof. God says, listen, it's my dominion. Don't swear by that. Just let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Keep your word. Keep your oath. I, I like to put it this way. Um, we could summarize it. The, the commendation, the instruction to us is this. Don't swear by these things. And what you agree to, make sure you come through on your end of the contract. Um, the fact is this. When you make an oath or swear by anything in God's dominion, you bring Him into the transaction. So when you swear by Jerusalem, you swear by heaven, you swear by your head, what you have just done, you've opened the door for God to be your witness. And more so than that, let's just boil it down. The reality is this, you are his child, so he is always party to your transactions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You make an agreement with a businessman, Christian, you ought to keep it. Well, I didn't sign my name. It was just verbal. You ought to keep it. You say it, you keep it. You be a person of your word. That's literally what James is telling us here. Well, I, 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 I didn't promise all this. and I didn't. No, you keep your word. Listen, your God is a witness to every one of your transactions. You are his child. Therefore, glorify him in it. And I think also what goes right in the hand with this, probably what boils it down to even the more important teaching of James is this, letter B. An oath is unnecessary where integrity is one's constant character. An oath is unnecessary. Hey, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. When integrity is a constant character. This is literally what James and even what we looked at in Christ, the record of Christ's own words, were employed, or implored, excuse me, implored to employ simple, straightforward, honest, trustworthy speech. That's what God calls us to do. Our yes should mean yes. You ever hear somebody say this? Yeah, I said yes, but I meant maybe. Sometimes we as parents like to say that, Amen. Yeah, I said yes, but I meant maybe. <laughs> you ever hear somebody say, hey, yeah, I, I said no, but it was still kind of a possibility. I mean, the Bible says let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's what we're called to do. 
It means that there should be no need for someone to wonder what we really meant. What we will really do. Well, they said this, but I'm not sure they're going to follow through. They said they would do this, but I, I, they said that they meant, I'm not sure. There ought not to be someone wondering if we can be trusted to follow through. Let's put it this way. The older generations, mine on up maybe, uh, would understand this statement. For the Christian, it is never archaic to say that our word is our bond. It ought to never get old. It ought to never be passe. It it ought not to ever be a generational thing where my word is my bond. My word is my bond. In olden days, we used to do what? Let's shake on it. Let's shake on it. And that just confirmed, and that just said, hey, my word is my bond. What I said I'll do, I'll do. Listen, hey, young people, that is not something of a gone-by era. It is something that Christians should be known for. Our word is our bond. We said it, I'll do it. I promised it, I'll follow through. I'll fulfill it. The constant appeals, now listen to me, what an oath does. Well, I promise, in all honesty, well, you can trust me. Every single one of these oaths and others that you may utter, the constant appeals to this or that as a confirmation, now get this, as a confirmation of one's word literally cheapens the whole point that we're trying to affirm. So if I keep having to, I promise, I promise, don't you believe me? Don't you believe me? You ever hear kids say something like that? And what do we say at the beginning? Literally, that makes us not want to believe them. It cheapens what we're trying to convey. It cheapens what we're trying to say. My character, now listen, this is a character issue. My character is missing something if I have to constantly work at convincing people that what I say, I mean. So young person, if you've already started down a path where you have to constantly convince your teacher and your parents and your friends that what you say you mean, then you have a character issue. You have a character issue. Hey, adult, same thing is true. We have to constantly work at convincing others that I mean what I say. Can I tell you tonight, there's a great need today for Christians to be people of integrity in both their words and in their actions. If you are a person of integrity, you need not utter oaths. You need not call heaven or even God as a witness to prove your truthfulness. I like to put it in a simple statement this way. Integrity permits us to be people of few trustworthy words. If I have integrity, it opens the door for me to say yes, no, and people know I mean it. It's trustworthy. It's few. It, I don't have, yes, I get, you know what, I promise you I'll do it. You don't have to worry anything about it. As long as I live, I'll get it done. You can count on me. We don't have to say all that. Someone asks us to do something, we enter into a contract, all we have to say is yes. You can count on me. Yes, sir. I sign my name. Integrity permits us to be people of few trustworthy words. Simple yes is enough for people to take to the bank. You know, there was a time in history 
many of you who, who know history well, the English flag began spreading around the known world. And they started eating up lands and, and different uh, outposts and countries and things like that. And, and everybody became, in, in essence, a, a part of the English empire. And as they did, it was quite interesting to study, uh, as the nation spread, they began gobbling up land and things like that. A common saying rose among their people and spread even among those people who came under their rule. And it was a statement that was used to confirm the legitimacy of a contract or an agreement. It was this statement that was often given, was this, it is the word of an Englishman. In other words, you can take it to the bank. You can count on it. It is the word of an Englishman. Now, can I tell you, my friend, it ought to be tonight that it should be said of you and I, That when you and I say yes or we say no, it is the word of a Christian. Someone full of integrity who has proven their character to be, I'll do what I said. I'll keep my word. I will be a man of my word. And young person, can I tell you, it starts at an early age. That your parents see you as trustworthy. Your teachers know that, hey, they said it, I can count on them. Your brothers, your sisters, your friends can look at you and say, you know what, they said this, and, and I, that means they're going to do it. That means they're going to follow through. You say, well, Pastor Henry, I, I can't control what other Christians say and do. That's correct, but you can certainly do your part to return the character of integrity to the title of Christian. Where you live, where you operate, the people you deal with out in the world, how you deal with fellow believers, you and I can do our part to show integrity. That our God wants us to be people of integrity. That what I promise, the contracts I enter into, I fulfill. You know, the simple practice of speaking the truth in every situation and keeping one's word in every situation. Now notice this. The simple practice of speaking the truth in every situation, of keeping my word in every transaction, would do as much as anything for you and I to shine forth as lights for Christ in a dark world. I have seen it way too often. You too. We could sit here and we could give testimonies and stories about how we kept our word in something and it opened the door for the light of Jesus Christ to shine. For us to share the gospel. Probably, though, the adverse is true, too. We could share many a story where a Christian didn't keep their word. They reneged on a contract. They went back on something they promised. And what happened to the door for the gospel? It closed. It closed. Because integrity was not present. And the world saw it. And then it badly reflected on the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know what James is saying? It ought not so to be. And I believe this. I believe what he said this, lest ye fall into condemnation. I think we're going to give an account for every word, every promise. We're going to give account to God. Whether it helped the testimony of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, or whether it detracted from it. We'll come back and remind ourselves of these truths. But we have a couple moments here. Now, I want to kind of branch off just for a few moments for something that I think is appropriate for us to talk about. In James here, verse number 12, 
I've already told you that the swearing that he talks about is not the idea of cursing or whatever the case may be. For him here, it was an oath. But I think it certainly allows for you and I to approach and discuss quickly the topic of swearing and being careful of what comes out of our mouths. Because the Bible says this, and young people, I want you to listen up. I, I think this is crucial for you to learn at a young age and some of us older ones to, to be reminded of. When the Bible says that we should be people of pure and holy speech of lips, we must consider some words that often find their way into the vocabulary of innocent Christians. In other words, we pick up some words, maybe from the world and listening, or, or just maybe from others, and we pick up on it from the workplace, and, and all of a sudden it enters into our vocabulary. And before we realize that we're using some words and we really have no idea where they are derived from what they mean. And yet some of these words, their origin is not befitting of ones whose words and actions ought to represent a pure and holy God. Have you ever heard of the term euphemism? Okay, what is a euphemism? Well, it's a substitute, literally, a substitute word or expression for another. We have several of them that have developed in the English language, or really the common American language. And so here's a proper definition. I know you've already read it as I was talking there, but here's a proper definition. It is a mild or indirect word or expression substituted for one considered to be too harsh or blunt when referring to something unpleasant or embarrassing. So a euphemism is a substitute phrase or word, a milder one for something that would be offensive, something that would be, as it describes here, harsh or blunt. Now remember, this is a secular definition. This is familiar. Uh, I think this one came from the Oxford Dictionary, and uh, I use both Oxford and Merriam-Webster, uh, both familiar, uh, certainly well, well viewed, but secular dictionary. So euphemism is a word substituted. Now we have to be careful because sometimes there are common euphemisms that I believe that it would be good for Christians, now listen to me, to eliminate from their vocabulary. In other words, some euphemisms that we ought not to use because it does not reflect well on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're recorded as such, as euphemisms. In uh, dictionaries across the board, and again, two of the most well-known secular dictionaries, the Oxford Dictionary, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. So what are some of them? Well, I want to challenge you about uh, should a Christian use some of these terminologies. What about golly and gosh? Well, that dictionary, secular dictionary, says that it is its origin comes from a euphemism for God. So it's like taking God's name in vain, but that would be too harsh, too blunt. So I'm just going to use gosh and golly. I'm just going to stick those in. Those are substitutes. Hmm. What about heck? Origin is, according to the secular dictionaries, it's a euphemism alteration or euphemistic alteration of hell. Now, I don't know about you. I don't think any Christian should joke about hell. Hell's a real place. And so we ought not to use it as a byword. We ought not to use it as a swear word or an exclamation word. That doesn't present it well. When we, ought to, when we talk about hell, we ought to work at getting people away from it, keeping them from it. How about this, darn? We're not talking about darning a sock. We're talking about using it as an expletive or a substitute word. It is literally, according to Dixon, no, a euphemism for damn or damned. Now listen... Understand, 
you may have, may have used some of these at times in your life. You may have picked it up from somebody else. And, and I am not saying that our intent and our motive behind these are to use curse words and swear words. But I'll tell you what it does. Satan knows what he does. He knows his, his means and his methods very well. And he'll slip things in to deteriorate and take away from our testimony for the Lord. I don't stand here tonight as a pastor and think you're wicked and evil if you maybe use some of these words, but I'll tell you this, I don't think we ought to have them in our vocabulary. If they're a substitute for a word that we wouldn't commonly use, it's probably not a good thing we haven't. How about dang, again, it, it, the definition in one of them, I think it was Miriam Webster, literally the definition of dang was damn. Another one said a euphemism for damn. This isn't in the dictionary, but it's well understood that G is a euphemism for Jesus. Or a shortened version of it. Um, you say, Pastor Henry, aren't we being a little nitpicky? No, I don't think we are. Because I, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says this, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, building up someone, that it may minister grace to the hearer. So if my words aren't doing that, then I, it doesn't matter if it's a euphemism or something else. I ought to make sure that the words that I use are ministering grace to somebody or they're building up somebody. In other words, an unbeliever hears you use one of these euphemisms. You say, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not saying the real thing. Most of the world knows what you probably meant. And most of the world would say no Christian ought to swear. In fact, somebody was talking to me just this morning, a co-worker, and this co-worker was going all the task on this point of minutia in the Scriptures and arguing it, and yet this person who was sharing with me said, you know, wait a second, I've heard them curse up and down (laughs) other days. See, even we know, the world knows, that someone who swears and uses words that aren't good, that that don't reflect well on, on 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 God, should not be used by a Christian. The world knows that. So you and I ought to be especially careful. We also know, don't, don't mis- mistake or misunderstand me this evening. It's also as much about how you say something as it is about what you say. It's about the attitude in the heart, the emotions behind it, the intent and the motive behind it. But as Christians, suffice it to say that our speech, as the Bible says in Colossians, ought to be always with grace, pure and holy, representing our Savior well. I want to tell you, you you sit here and you say, well, Pastor Henry, I say that word all the time and I don't think there's that big of a deal about it. Could I challenge you to think about it? Think about these truths. You pray about it too. Ask the Lord to open our hearts and say, listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, including the words you say, do all to the glory of God. Does a word that's a euphemism for something else, a substitute for something else, does that really bring glory to God? Or would there be a much better way for me to speak, letting my yea be yea and my nay be nay? I don't have to add fluff. I don't have to add other things to it. I just got to be careful and allow my words to reflect that I am a born-again child of God. Can I encourage you this evening, three things to take away, and we're done. Number one, very simple. Um, an oath is to be kept. And we'll get it maybe here. There we go. An oath is to be kept no matter who or what is sworn upon. Therefore, I will purpose to keep my word always. Number two, 
Integrity permits us to be people of few trustworthy words. Therefore, I will pursue integrity. From this moment forward, I'm going to go ahead and every, if I say it, people are going to know I'm going to keep my word. As a young person, you little ones here, you ought to keep your word. You ought to pursue integrity from a young age. And then number three, very simply put, desiring to bring glory to God, I will avoid employing euphemisms or any word that would detract from the testimony of my Lord. Now to challenge us. Say, you know what? I don't have to use that word. We have a very extensive vocabulary. I don't have to use phrases and things that would detract from it. I can use something else. May God add his blessing to his word. May you and I be challenged to live for him this week through the very words we use. Father, I thank you for your word. I'm grateful for these challenges we've seen, even from this one verse. And Father, I pray we take these things to heart. I, I pray we'd be people of integrity. And Father, I pray that we would be challenged by the words we use, that they glorify and honor you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the type of Christians you called us to be. Help us everywhere we go to reflect your holiness, your purity, Lord, in our words and our actions. And Father, I'm grateful that you have called us to such a high standard with your holy spirit and your word empowering us i pray we would live up to it help us this week lord may we reflect you well may we bring you glory in everything lord bless our time of fellowship may it be sweet tonight may we enjoy it thank you for our church thank you for everything that it is and father what it provides for us and the means to minister one to another to reach a lost and dying world and father to further your kingdom help us to be encouraged help us to love our church and be passionate about it help us to recognize its authority in our lives and lord i pray that you continue to bless fostoria baptist church for many years to come we love you so very much it's in your name we pray Amen. Let me invite you to standing. Uh, grab your hymn book on your way up. We'll just sing a song.